The Lion Sleeps Tonight is an iconic tune, but what can it teach us about the importance of copyright for artists and other creatives? I'm talking to Dr. Bamathi Viswanathan, a copyright lawyer and professor here at Emerson College, about everything you need to know to protect your intellectual property. Whether it's a copyright, patent, or trademark, securing your IP is the only way to make sure you can make a living while doing what you love. Together, we'll learn why speaking some legalese is an important part of every artist's vocabulary. This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Hi, I'm Bamathy Viswanathan, and I teach in the Business of Creative Enterprise program, which is part of the Marketing Communication Department. I really specialize in intellectual property law, copyright, trademark, patent, and I talk about why we need to know about these rights, about IP rights, and why they might matter to you. So I'm going to start out with a story, and I think the story will illustrate why this might be of interest to people at Emerson and to all of us who are in the creative world and uh, entrepreneurs, creators, working for creative industry companies. So I want to tell you a story about a song that you probably know really well. It's The Lion Sleeps Tonight. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. Okay, I can't sing very well, but you get the idea of the song because everyone knows it. The song is actually called Mbube, which is Zulu for lion. And there's a guy named Solomon Linda who was a South African Zulu, and he sang with a group called the Evening Birds. He recorded the song for Gallo Records, which was a South African record label, and the song became a huge hit. So in 1939, the song hit it big in South Africa. By 1948, it was a worldwide sensation. Everyone wanted to sing it, cover it. They had it in their ears, in their heads. It was huge. So 1951, the great folk singer Pete Seeger and his group The Weavers covered it. They called it Wimowe, a mishearing of the chorus line, Wimbube, you are a lion. It hit the billboard top 10, which if you can imagine in 1951, that means everyone is listening to it, right? So the Kingston Trio, Ima Sumac, Miriam Makeba, all covered it. Then the Tokens covered it with the lyrics in the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight, the ones I just sang, really familiar to all of us. And Solomon Linda, the guy who originally covered the song, the Zulu performer, was listed as a performer on the record, but not as the owner of or the author of the song. So the Weavers thought that they had recorded a traditional Zulu song. That's what Gallo Records, the record label that owned the recording, told them. So Pete Seeger said, well, look, let's pay Solomon Linda as the author of the song. And he told Folkways Music, his label, the, the one that he recorded it under, to pay Linda royalties. That never happened. Okay, fast forward to much later. The song was used, as we all know, by Disney in the movie The Lion King. It's conservatively estimated to have made about $15 million. So in 2000, this South African journalist named Rian Milan wrote an article for Rolling Stone about the song and its lineage and the story and the story that he thought of Solomon Linda being ripped off for his song. 
In 2004, Linda's estate, because by then Linda had passed away very sadly, um, they sued Disney for $1.6 million in royalties. So if you can imagine, the song makes at least 15 million bucks, 1 million bucks, 1 15th of that, right? According to Rian Milan, the, the journalist, the estate settled for $600,000, so kind of a pittance, right? Rian Milan went on to make a documentary that I recommend you all see called The Lion's Share, and he interviews the family. And they say, we never saw a penny of that money. In 2012, Mbube fell into the public domain because of the copyright laws of South Africa. The Lion Sleeps Tonight, though, is still in copyright. The copyright's held by Abilene Music Publishers, and they hold the worldwide lights, and they've licensed it to Disney. So we all know what the end of the story is, right? Abilene, Disney, Mega Millions... Solomon Linda now passed away and his estate, unclear, but maybe a few hundred thousand dollars for one of the f- most famous songs in the world that we can all sing when we close our eyes. The reason this matters to me, the reason this matters to me, and it should matter to you, to you as a creator, to you as someone working in the creative industry, to you as an Emerson person in the community and in the world, is because ownership of your rights, of your intellectual property rights, your copyright in your song, in your book, in your novel, in your screenplay, in your photograph, even maybe in your TikTok video, right? In your short, in your Instagram page, your trademark in that gorgeous t-shirt that you make, your trademark in Boston Strong, which was a slogan created by Emerson students who didn't get trademarked for it for a really long time and missed out on a big share of revenues, right? This is where your money comes from. This is where you earn your living is on intellectual property rights. And that's what I teach people here. I talk about uh, copyright in the hands of people of color and most of all how it empowers artists of color right, and enriches us. As an artist of color myself, I feel very strongly that ownership of my rights in my book is empowering for me. Yeah, it's kind of enriching. My book didn't make a lot of money. I wrote a book about intellectual property rights in the digital age for creators, but it's what I own. It's my work. It's original to me. It represents a lot of sweat equity, and that's what Copyright, trademark, patent, all those IP rights. Now, rights of publicity, your rights in yourself, what you look like. You're Kylie Jenner. You best believe you want rights in what you look like, who takes your photograph, right? What image your your image is used for. These things really matter. And that's what I'm here to talk today with Mark about. Fantastic. Well, welcome to Campus on the Common. Thank you. I'm wondering, could we define what is intellectual property? Really good question, Mark. So... Essentially, it's a right in the work that you create or produce or innovate, right? Now, there are real limitations on it. For example, Mark, you write a story about a governess, right? She's a young woman who goes off to be the governess to a family with eight kids. They're really musical and sing a lot, and they dance around in the Austrian Alps right before. Oh, that sounds really familiar, right? What's that the story of? Hmm. Sound of Music, is that it? Yeah, we old timers know this movie. You guys probably never even heard of it, or maybe you've heard of it because, uh, you know, um, um, Ariana Grande covered uh, My Favorite Things. Um, But that movie was really famous and made an enormous amount of money. Mark can write that story all over again, make a video of it, do whatever he wants with it. The story can't be owned. 
But the way the story was told, the screenplay for The Sound of Music, every single song that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote for it, the movie itself, all of those are owned. They're all making somebody money, right? So it's the rights and the work that you create. And there are limitations on that. Copyright has a really long term. It's your entire life plus 70 years. Patents only have a 20-year life. So if you make a patent for one of the coronavirus vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, you get 20 years of that, maybe extendable to 30 years. But there are limited times for them. But there are rights in the things that are yours. Interesting. So we have copyright, we have patents, we have trademarks. How are they similar and how are they different? Wow, they're really different. So copyright tends to be in creative stuff, right? So your screenplay, like I said, or your book or your song. Patents in your innovations, your um, mRNA for the vaccine. Um, let's see, what else is patentable? Gosh, light bulb. Right? Mousetrap, as we like to say in the business world, build a better mousetrap, right? Anything that you create that's mechanical. Uh, sometimes things like software. Software is interesting because it can be both copyrighted and patented. Some things have both rights. Trade secret. What's a trade secret? That's something that's so special. It's your secret sauce. Your Coca-Cola. Do you know how many people own the recipe for Coca-Cola? One. One person knows it. One individual actually One owns it. One individual knows it. Well, holds the secret to it, right? Coca-Cola, the company, owns it. One person knows it. The recipe is actually written and put in a bank vault. And no one can get access to it. And that is one of the best stories of trade secrets because you can just imagine everybody would like to be Coke, Right. A trade secret, something that's so special, that's your secret sauce that makes you you. As long as no one knows what it is, it's yours forever. Very powerful. What's a, One more thing, Mark. What's a right of publicity? It's what you look like, right? It's what your persona is. So if you're Kylie Jenner or Kevin Garnett or Ariana Grande or, gosh, Paris Hilton, right? How you look, your style, your clothes, the way you wear them, the way you play the game, every single thing about you. Guess what? Epic Games Fortnite wants to make a movie with your avatar, right? They got to pay you to make that avatar. They don't just get to take your person that you've spent a long time building, right? And use it for their own benefit. Now, when we look at using an image for someone's benefit, how does this work in journalism? If I go out and cover a story and there's a sports figure or a celebrity and I, I take their picture and it ends up on the cover of the globe... Why isn't there a copyright issue in that situation? There often is. You have the copyright in the photo, right? Now, there won't be an issue of copyright because pretty much the copyright's in your photo. Where it's pretty funny and interesting is where you take pictures of really famous people, right? So if you take a picture of Bella Hadid, right, walking down the street in New York looking absolutely gorgeous like she always does because I think she takes three hours to get ready every morning. I sure hope that's not just like natural, but she is a gorgeous woman, right? So she's walking down the street. It's happened. This happened. Photographer takes a picture of her, has the copyright in the picture, right? Sells a lot of copies of it because he's a paparazzo and that's what they do and that's how they make their living, right? She puts the picture on her Instagram page. He sues her, right? He wins, you guys, wow. She's like, this is an image of me. And he's like, the copyright in the photo's mine. So this rights of publicity stuff gets really dicey and tricky, 
right? And it depends on which athlete you're talking about, where you're talking about it. NCAA may have different rules. By the way, you guys, NCAA has now decided that student athletes can make money off their rights of publicity. That is going to change. Total game changer. Total game, literally and metaphorically game changer, right? So if you come to my creativity and copyright class, we're really going to talk about that next semester. We're going to have someone come in and talk about it because I need to learn more. It's a fascinating new area. Well, we should definitely get you involved with sports communication. That's a a major topic that they go into as well. Absolutely. When we look at the Emersonian's typical experience relevant to copyright, Let's assume that I'm a, a senior, I'm about to come out of this wonderful institution, get into the real world. What are some of the things that I should be keeping in mind and how do I use copyright to my advantage? That's a great question. And partly it depends on what you do, right? So if you, so many of our students are so unbelievably entrepreneurial and creative, right? They're going to go out and write the next Netflix special that we see. You need to know about how to own rights in that right? I got students right now who are launching incredible brands of t-shirts with beautiful original artwork on them, right? You got to trademark that. Okay. Maybe you don't have to trademark that right now, right this minute, but as soon as you start selling it in the stream of commerce, you're going to want to own rights in that work, in your brand name, right? And why it matters, Mark, is because Not only is that your reputation, that's the source of your money making, right? Every time we go out to buy a Gucci bag, it's partly because it says Gucci on it. Gucci speaks to the quality of the bag, right? So you go out and work in the fashion world, you best know that that trademark is where your value is. Now, I think most of us are pretty instinctively attuned to that idea, right? When we go out to buy a name brand thing, it's because we're attracted to the brand and the brand says something to us right? It may say, I'm really cool. I'm a pair of Timberland boots. It may say, I'm really high end. I'm a Montclair jacket. It may say something like, I am the latest, coolest sneaker ever. And I'm going to now cost $2,000 when I drop. All my sneaker heads out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I actually did a panel on sneaker law and wow. I mean, people who are crazy about sneakers are crazy about sneakers. And there's a reason for that, right? So when you go out into the world, whatever you do, believe me, intellectual property rights will be there. A little bit of understanding. You don't need to be a lawyer to get this stuff, but a little bit of understanding of it can go a really long way. So what would be some of the first steps if you're considering trademark and or copyright? Let's say I go out and I I get the perfect photograph. This is a life altering, awesome image. Everybody in the world wants it. And I, and I just took this shot. Wow. Now what do I do? Well, the cool thing about copyright is it now is the fact that you get it. You don't have to do anything. You got it. You got copyrighted. You don't even have to slap a C on it. You do not need to do this. Oh, mail it to myself. And there's this some weird myth about how if you mail it to yourself, you get copyright. No, no. You get copyright from the minute you create it. It's yours. It's original. You can prove it's original and yours. It's yours. You register copyright because you get extra rights. You get the right to sue and make money off the lawsuit to collect damages. That's a really big thing. Every single time somebody rips you off, you get a statutory amount of damages for that action of ripoff that can add up to a lot if somebody's ripping you off a lot and successively, right? So you want to go through the orig- the official channels because you get more rights. Trademark, you really do go out and do a little search. There's a trademark database. It's actually not that hard. I can show anyone how to do it. I do this a lot. Um, and you find you know, hey, does anyone else have this name already in the stream of commerce? 
If not, you're pretty clear. Now you apply for a trademark. It costs kind of a pretty penny, but it's also kind of worth it. You apply to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. They take a look at it. They try to decide, okay, is this original enough? Does this actually speak to what you're doing? Is there anybody else out there who's doing it? Are there any reasons that we might reject it? And in many cases, they grant it. And now you got a trademark and you can go ahead and sell your good and have some rights in protecting it. Now, on the other side of the copyright issue, let's say I've just done the most amazing film and I've got some student actors that will soon be you know, Oscar award winning, but they're not quite there yet. Do I have any copyright? Are there any thoughts regarding copyright releases and things like that? So I've created this movie. It's out there. It's being distributed. I'm now profiting on it. What are the implications for those that have actually appeared in the piece? Wow, that's a great question. So. If you're an actor, listen up. One thing you want to do is sign a contract with Mark before you appear in his piece, right? Want to make sure you get a chunk of that sweet, sweet revenue, right? Because Mark is going to make it go viral. And if there's any revenues to be had, it's going to come out of your contract, right? So some things are established by copyright, trademark, by IP rights, and some things are established by contract, right? So when you sign on to do something, when you sign on to to write the next screenplay for Netflix, you'll have a contract with Netflix telling you exactly what your share of the royalties are. And that's negotiated for you usually by a lawyer who's an entertainment lawyer and knows how to do that stuff, right? But you may want to say, well, you know, I want to give some room for licensing this right, right? So now, Mark, you have to sort of think when you're hiring these student actors, you know, where do I want to distribute this, right? So I want I want to make rights with them. I want to make contracts that are fair to them. I want to compensate my actors, but I also want to retain the ability to distribute this in other places, right? So let's say, you know, someone wants to pick it up and make it a miniseries. Uh, the woman who wrote Bridgerton, one of the most successful miniseries ever, right? She made a series of multiple contracts so she could make, of course, right? Season two is coming out. We're all waiting to see it. Bummer that our favorite actor is not going to be appearing in season two. He was really hot, right? But the contract was for one season, right? Between that actor and the film company. And you can make multiple ones and you can make all sorts of very complicated arrangements. And I can't go into them right now because they are complicated, but this is where you start getting into entertainment law and it's really fun, interesting stuff. Now for the less sophisticated creator and I'm not putting photographers in less sophisticated creator uh, position in terms of creativity, but you know, as a shooter, I've been out there and I've, I've done an awful lot of work and with models, agencies, stuff like that. Generally speaking, before I even pick up the camera, the models have signed a release, so I'm free and clear. But for those that go out and shoot and they've got someone's likeness and you know they're they're monetizing that image, what are the implications for the photographer? Yeah, it's really tough. So I don't know if any of y'all know this, but Jay-Z and Jonathan Mannion, who's a very famous photographer, Mannion was around since the dawn of the rap and hip hop era and hung with those guys in the Bronx and in Brooklyn and all around New York. And there are pictures of him and Jay-Z in the early 80s when I first lived in New York, right, hanging and looking like very young, actually. And they were just on the rise together. Now Jay-Z is suing Mannion because Mannion has a picture of Jay-Z on his website. And he's like, no, no, you don't use my picture on your website to, to, you know, he's using it to promote himself and saying, look, I was there back in the day. I took these pictures of these are my pictures of Jay-Z. Now, the question is, 
who owns copyright in that picture, Mark? If you retain copyright in your pictures, you might well be like, hey, I have a right to use this. You don't have a right to control your image. I have a right to control my picture. Now, for a sophisticated person, you start getting into, oh, are there rights of publicity or what's going on? Or for someone like a Jay-Z who's a huge figure might really matter. For me, taking a photo of somebody walking down the street, well, you know, all I can do to protect myself is there are, you do have the right to photograph people in the street. People don't have a right to privacy on the street. There are cases about that. When you take somebody's picture, though, you may have to keep in mind that someday there may be some disputes about that. It does get really dicey when people start scraping images, as you've probably seen as a photographer and videographer yourself, Mark, right? The Internet is the Wild West, and the reason I wrote a book about IP rights, how people can use IP rights to protect their creative work in the digital age, is because it's really hard to know what to do. How do you protect your photo? Well, you can watermark it. You can say, please do not distribute. You can check the internet every so often to see where your image is showing up in Google Images. You can find somebody who's taking your image and say, hey, stop doing that. It's called a cease and desist letter, right? A cease and desist letter can be actually surprisingly effective and powerful. After that, what's it worth to you? How, how much, much of a do fight? They, that's right. How much, how much of a fight? How much do they make? Well, and how much time do you have to invest in this to get some form of justice? And if there is justice, yeah. does that does that pay for your time? Absolutely. And what did you make on that photo? Well, gosh, you know, maybe you see future income streams coming in from that photo. and You really want to protect them. But a lot of people just kind of say, I just can't, you know, and I get that. It's very difficult to control stuff on the Internet. One of the things my students have come across in my digital storytelling class is using somebody else's content. Now, in the class, for educational purposes, if they scrape something to show as an example, no problem. But for the final deliverable, ah, that's completely different because now you're using somebody else's stuff in your own work. Now, they're not monetizing it, so there's probably a gray line there. I just try to avoid it in general. But the question then comes when they're, they've graduated from this class, they are now semi-professional creators in the video realm. They're not VMAs, but they're, they're really good. What are some of the things they have to keep in mind so that they don't become a foul in the copyright world? Oh, yeah, that's an excellent question. It opens up the world's murkiest topic called fair use, right? So my poor copyright and creativity students have heard me say this 80 billion ways to Sunday. The answer to any fair use question is, it depends. Sometimes it depends even on which court you're in, which is a terrible answer because no one wants to hear that, right? But the story of fair use is this. All these rights are balancing acts between the rights of ownership that we give creators and innovators, right? That enables them to make money off of their hard labor and the rights that we want to have for people. So which people do I mean? I mean users. I mean audiences. I mean follow-on artists, people who want to take from you creatively and transform what you've done. So I see a photograph that you've taken and the one part of it is just gorgeous to me. I want to use it in my mosaic or my collage, right? I have the right to take a portion of your work. If it's a small, small portion, maybe I have that right. What if I use it in a collage that makes huge amounts of money? Maybe you might be like, hey, wait, hold on a second. That was my recognizable photo. 
fair use tries to strike that balancing act. And the reason people can use stuff in your class is because one of the exceptions to fair use is it says, wait, hold on. We want people to teach, right? We want people to be able to learn from images. And so in the classroom, you can use a lot of things that you couldn't necessarily use because you're not making money, but you're also teaching off of it, right? Let's say you make a photograph that I just think is hugely open to a kind of SNL type, you know, parody, right? I just think, oh man, that needs to be parody. You know, that right wing piece of supremacist crap that Mark Brody just made needs to wait, be parody. Wait, 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 time <laughs> out. I would never do that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I'm totally, totally being mean to you, but... I want to make a funny parody that says something to people. The First Amendment says, and this is where various areas of law overlap, right? But the First Amendment tells us that parodying is really important, right? Social critical commentary really matters. So it carves out another area of fair use. To get to your question, Mark, for students who are going out into the world, you need to know that fair use works in specific areas and also in specific ways. Exactly as you said, Mark, when you start trying to monetize, when you start trying to use it for commercial value, judges look a lot more skeptically at what you're doing. So if you use that, maybe if you use it in a piece that you're now going to put in your portfolio to show what you did, and you say to the person you're showing it to, this is not for circulation, that might work. But I think you should be cautious about how you use things that are copyright protected. So think about it. I mean, that's really the big thing here. Think about it as mattering, just like it would matter if somebody took your work, right? Let's say you worked with somebody else and you collaborated on a video, but you know you did 90% of the work, right? That other person was just lazy. And then they take their work and they start showing it when they're going off to talk to producers who they want to have hire them as their work. You'd be kind of pissed, right? So protection of your own work, it's the do unto others thing, right? That's really what you should think about when you're using other people's work. Somebody put sweat equity into that work. Be respectful of that. I like that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at copyright, we look at what creatives are all about, especially at Emerson College. The fact that just by the through the act of creation, they now own it. They can take the next step and, and register that copyright. They know that if they're monetizing a piece and there's somebody else's likeness, they definitely should get a release. Other than your class, I'm not aware of another resource at Emerson where people come out and be prepared to get into the real world and contend with these issues. So for those that won't have the benefit of attending their class, what are some of the resources that would be available to young creatives so that they can essentially cover themselves from the legal standpoint relevant to copyright, trademark, patent, fair use, etc.? Yeah, it's tough. And I know it's expensive. And I know hiring a lawyer seems like the last thing you want to do. So I get that. But I think if you're doing something where you really do want to protect, say, your trademark, it's worth hiring a lawyer for a short consult. I work for an organization called the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, the VLA, which is part of the Massachusetts Arts and Business Council. Um, and we do a lot of workshops on IP, on contracts, on licensing. We hold them all over the place. And we do hook you up with a lawyer who's willing to work either pro bono, meaning for free or on a sliding scale basis. I do a lot of that, of just advising people. I advise a lot of my BCE students and people who are interested. And usually I say, you know, reach out to the volunteer lawyers for the arts. They're really pretty good. There are organizations like that 
almost in every state I can think of. So if you're in New York, there's a very big one or in Washington, D.C. or in L.A. Um, just look for your local VLA. And then, you know, I think it's very important that you sort of educate yourself. And, you know, education doesn't end at Emerson, right? It just begins here. There's lots of workshops out there. There's lots of people that you can talk to. I'm also a trustee of an organization called the Copyright Society. And we love to have young people come and just sit in on, like I said, I had a sneaker law panel that a bunch of my students attended and people that I just said, hey, do you want to attend this? It's kind of interesting. So if you're going into a field, there's lots of ways of connecting with folks. There's lots of alums from Emerson who'd be happy to help you. And you know, I only say this to a few people, but I, I know students have said to me, should I go to law school? My answer to that one is, I love law school. Go if you want to and go if it interests you. And if you know what you want to do with it, don't just go. But this kind of stuff gets really fun, in my view. In our remaining time, could you give the audience three takeaways? Takeaway number one, which I think has been the thread of this whole dialogue, and thank you so much for it, Mark. I've loved it, is know what intellectual property rights are a little bit and know why they matter. The second part is really the critical story here, right? Know why they matter. Let me add two words to you. They matter to you because you're going to go out in the world and they're, they're going to be a powerful tool that you can harness. And you probably will at some point in your life. Because if I know anything about Emerson students, I know they go out and conquer the world. They're creative. They're energetic. They're entrepreneurial. You know, we create this world of unbelievably capable people who may be leaders, who may be creators, who may be at the forefront. I count on that with my students, right? But you need to know why do I have to copyright my work? Because it's mine. Because I want to make money off of it. Note number two, that intellectual property rights, everything I've been talking about today, that's the source of your living. That's where you're going to make money from. Right? That's embedded in what I said as part one. But what really matters here is Gucci makes money because it slaps the G on the bag. And the G on the bag stands for high quality product that you have come to know and love as the Gucci bag. When that movie drops, I promise you their sales will go up, but they will only go up if the Gucci label is authentic and theirs. Counterfeits will go up, you guys. People will counterfeit. People will pirate your stuff, but your rights are yours, right? The last thing I'll say is that in the world of creativity, there's only so many ways to make money. People don't realize that creatives, when they put their stuff out there, are doing nothing different than, say, Audi, when it puts a car out there. People steal creative work like it's nothing, right? I'll just go steal that newspaper article and, and deep link to it, right? What's the big deal? They, the New York Times makes tons of money. I'll just, I'll just rip that Rihanna song. She's rich anyway. Who cares, right? Would you walk into a store and steal a Fenty lipstick? I hope not, right? But we don't think of those as the same things because we're like, oh, intellectual property, that's just like everyone trying to lock things down. This isn't to lock things down. People like me don't want to keep people from having stuff. We just want to see creators compensated for what they do so that they can make a living too. And that's why I'm really passionate about this stuff because I care about creators. I care about innovators. I care about y'all being able to go out and put food on the table like we all need to do. 
You've been listening to Campus on the Common. I'm your host, Mark Brody. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Bamathy Viswanathan, who teaches, advises, and writes about the intersection of creative economies, arts, culture, and copyright law. Included in her many academic degrees, she holds a doctorate of judicial science from the University of Pennsylvania Law School and a Juris Doctorate degree from the University of Michigan Law School. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communication. Our executive producer is Dean Raoul Rice. Lucas Poiser is our producer and chief engineer. Chase Taylor is our associate producer. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the field of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.